Well, every single morning when I wake up and when you wake up, we wake up in the middle of a battle. And I would like to describe the battle the way I think about it is very simply as the battle between Oreos and lettuce. You might say, what is, the, what, 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 what is it? Well, you could think of it like this. What I enjoy now versus what will bring me joy later. What I enjoy now versus what will bring me joy later. How does Oreos and lettuce have anything to do with this? Well, these beautiful, glorious, circular bites of heaven, they bring me lots of joy right now especially when they're dunked in whole milk, like real milk, milk that comes from a cow. That's real milk. All this other stuff, not real milk. These bring me lots of joy right now. And I know it says the serving size is three cookies, which is about 27 cookies too small. If I sit down to a pack of these, it's not three cookies. It's like a half a pack. Does anybody else know what I'm talking about this morning? Yes, and amen. And that brings me lots of joy right now. But if you sit down to a half a pack of Oreos every single day, let's just run it all the way out till you're like 70 years old. Probably not going to be a lot of joy. Probably going to be diabetes, heart issues, and so on. Lots of joy right now. Not a lot of joy later on. On the other hand, this stuff is so nasty, they invented stuff called salad dressing. You have salad dressing because nobody likes plain lettuce unless you're a rabbit. It's not very fun to eat, but if you eat this as opposed to this, you may not enjoy your mealtime, but if we run it all the way out to when you're 70 years old, you're going to be a lot healthier. What I enjoy now versus what brings me joy Later, And that, in a nutshell, is the battle you and I wake up every single morning facing. What do I enjoy right now versus what will actually bring me joy down the road? And here's what we realize when, when we engage in the middle of this. It's that for whatever reason, the things that are best for us are actually really difficult for us. The things that are best for us are actually really difficult for us. And it goes beyond diet and exercise. It goes into things like your marriage. For example, I know serving my wife helps create an environment for a great marriage. And yet when our preschooler pipes up in the middle of dinner and says, I need to go poop in the potty, my first thought is not, yes, a chance for me to serve my wife by volunteering. I'll go and take care of his rear end. No, the first thought in my mind was, man, I hope she volunteers to do it because I've already done that once today and I really don't want to do it again. <laughs> 
The things that are best for us are difficult for us. How many of y'all have a hard time just taking five minutes to pray? Just, just let's, let's call on, call on. I have a hard time doing that. I know prayer is good for me. It's healthy for me spiritually, but man, it's so hard to stop and get before God in prayer. How many of y'all know that when you're struggling something, man, it is so much easier when you bring somebody else to journey with you through that? We, we know that, yes? We know that. But how many of you know that, man, it's so difficult just to open up about your struggles? Like, I know that. Like, I've got some really close friends that, man, I can text them anytime I'm going through something, and yet every single time I'm going through something, it is like pulling teeth for me to get that text message out. What's best for us is also difficult for us. And it makes us wonder, especially if you're a Christian, man, why is that the case? Because some of you may be here in the room this morning or you're watching online and you're like, I gave my life to Jesus and I honestly thought this would be a lot easier. Because I've been following Jesus maybe for weeks, maybe for months, maybe for years, and you would say, but I'm still battling the same old desires. I still face the same temptations. I still carry the same burdens, or I still carry the same struggles. Why is this not easier? Well, Paul, writing to the church in Galatia, gives us some insight into this. Galatians 5 is where we'll be for the most part this morning. But he writes this in Galatians 5.13. He says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Free from what? Well, the moment you repent of your sin and give your life to Jesus, Jesus brings you into freedom. Freedom from three things. He brings you into freedom from the penalty of sin, you now have eternal life. You won't go to hell when you die. He, he also frees you from the power of sin. Sin no longer has dominion over your life. And one day he'll free us from the presence of sin when we spend eternity with him and there's no more sin. That's what he frees us from. We're called to freedom. And yet Paul also writes this, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. Now, why do we have to be told to not do something? It's because we're prone to do it. Every single one of us, there's this tension we face even on the other side of salvation, and it's this. While on the one hand, I am remade, reborn in the eyes of God, a brand new person recreated in Christ, and yet at the same time, I live in a body that is warped by sin. I have a mind that is warped by sin. I live in a world where temptation comes at me from every angle. And I'm all still tempted and prone to do things that are sinful, to do things that are destructive, to choose what I enjoy now over the expense of what will actually bring me joy later. And you can even see this in small kids. Like, like my toddler, 
if the dishwasher is open and there are steak knives and spoons in there, what do you think he goes for? The knife. He's like, sharp object. And we're like, no, that's death on a stick. If he goes anywhere near an electrical outlet that doesn't have a baby protector, what does he want to do? He's like, I think I want to put my finger in here. It's like there's something in us that makes us prone towards self-destruction, and that thing is called sin. We're born with it. And yes, when we give our life to Christ, he frees us from the penalty of sin. He frees us from the power of sin. And yet at the same time, we have this tension of we are still pulled like a magnet towards sinful desires. This tension calls the Apostle Paul to say in Romans, man, I do the things that I hate. So how does God help us in this? Well, Paul goes on to write in Galatians 5.17, he says this, for the flesh, and when you hear the word flesh, you can think of just, an, it's another word for myself, my self-desires, my self-will. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Let's talk about the spirit. When Paul talks about the spirit, he's specifically talking about the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not the force. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is how God is all present, how God is all knowing because the Holy Spirit is everywhere. But very specifically, the moment you give your life to Jesus, God sends his Holy Spirit to live inside of you. And because he sends your Holy, his Holy Spirit to live inside of you, that gives you the power and the ability to say no to your sinful desires. And so we have this conflict. On the one hand, we have myself or my flesh. On the other hand, we have the Holy Spirit that now lives inside of me. And Paul writes that the Holy Spirit and the flesh are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. When we think about the battle between what I enjoy now versus what will bring me joy later, ultimately you can think of that battle like this. It is the spirit versus myself. The spirit versus myself. The Holy Spirit in me, assuming you're a follower of Christ, and by the way, if you're not a follower of Christ and you're here, you're online, man, we are thrilled that you're here with us. But if you've become a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you, and there's this tension between the Holy Spirit in you versus yourself. Yourself will always pull you towards, what do I enjoy right now? What makes me happy right now? What brings me fulfillment right now? The Holy Spirit will always lead you towards, man, what is actually going to bring me joy later? What is actually in the long run really going to fulfill me? What is actually going to satisfy me? And that's the battle we face. And here's the thing. My long-term happiness and your long-term happiness, it all depends on how we navigate this battle. 
Because if we find ourselves constantly choosing the way of our flesh or the way of ourself and choosing what makes me happy right now, then we will miss out on the joy that God has for us down the road because the Holy Spirit will always lead us towards what is actually going to bring me real, true, lasting joy later. So how do we win this battle? How, how, do, we, how do we actually choose the difficult stuff, ignore the stuff we might enjoy now for the sake of what is actually going to benefit us later? Well, there's three realities we will have to accept and apply to our life in order to win the battle of the Spirit versus myself. The first one is this. Victory starts with the affections of the heart. Victory starts with the affections of the heart. Why is that? Because action, not accompanied by affection, is not sustainable. But man, when your heart gets involved in something, man, you'll do things that you normally wouldn't do. For instance, when I first met my wife and we first started dating, we were long distance. We lived about two hours apart. Man, we did some things that without me actually caring for her would have been completely unsustainable. We would stay up till like two or three o'clock in the morning talking on Skype. Who remembers Skype? It was like the forerunner to Zoom. Like for me back then, it was like, well, four and a half hours is a good night's sleep. You know, because we would just talk and talk and talk. And then on the weekend, I would drive to go see her and then drive back really, really late. And it was exhausting, but my heart was grabbed by this lady. And so it was something I continued to do. On the other hand, when your heart's not in something, it just doesn't last. For instance, when I was first trying to explore a call to ministry, I decided to volunteer at the student ministry at the church I was going to and they put me on the campus safety team, and I, I just didn't really enjoy it. It didn't really grab my heart. So after about three months of that, I was like, I think I'm going to try something else. When action is not accompanied by affection, it's not sustainable. Victory starts with the affections of the heart, and that's the point Jesus makes in a conversation that occurs in Mark chapter 12. Some guy comes up to Jesus and is like, hey, What's the most important law? And this was an, an interesting question because the Jewish religious leaders had identified 613 individual laws and a common debate among them at the time was which one is most important. And Jesus doesn't start with an action. He actually points to an affection. He says this in Mark 12, 30. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Contrary to the way the Jewish religious leaders operated at the time, Jesus doesn't start with, well, here's something for you to do. He starts with, here's someone for you to love, specifically your Heavenly Father. And the way you end up doing the right things, it starts with you loving God in a way that encompasses the entirety of your life. It starts with your heart, and that was a word that would refer to like the core of who a person was. 
And then it moves outward from that because when God grabs your heart, he begins to help you filter things with your soul. And that, that's a word that we would think of more as like dealing with our emotions. And we can begin to process and understand our emotions correctly. And then it moves to our mind. He changes the way that we think. Our thoughts begin to line up with what God thinks. And then it leads to loving God with all our strength, our actions. But it doesn't start with our hands, it starts with our heart. By the way, over the next four weeks, we'll talk about each one of these areas. Heart, feelings, thinking, strength. Each one of those the next four weeks we'll talk about. But it starts with our heart. It starts with the core of who we are. It starts with our affections. And that's not something you can just generate. That's something that has to happen to you. How do you get to the point where you actually love God? Well, man, it starts with salvation. It starts with you giving your life to Christ. Scripture says we love him because he first loved us, not because we deserved it, but in spite of our sin, in spite of our wickedness, he loved us and gave himself up for us. And our response is to love him back. Well, here's the question. How do you grow in your love for somebody? Spend time with them. How did I grow to where I really loved my wife? I spent hours upon hours upon hours with her through Skype or through Facebook Messenger or in person. Well, how do you grow to where you deeply love God? Spend time with them. The way you find out that, man, there's nothing better than being with Jesus is you actually be with Jesus. You spend time with him in his word. You spend time in his presence, gathering with the local church. And the more you are with him, the more you will love him. And that's the starting point because God is going to ask us to do some hard things. He's going to ask us metaphorically to, to eat a lot of lettuce. And you simply won't be able to do those things if you don't have a genuine, deep affection for the Lord being developed and developing in your heart. Victory starts with the affections of the heart. The second idea is this. Pursuing happiness prevents happiness. Pursuing happiness prevents happiness. You might say, that makes zero sense. So, so let me explain it. I'm going to set it up with a statement that will not be on screen, but I highly encourage you to write it down. Did you know... Every poor decision and every bad habit you and I develop is the overflow of us trying to be happy. You might say, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, let me give you a couple of examples from, from my life. There was this one time I went to Christmas dinner, my side of the family, and my side of the family's Christmas dinner is awesome. They got prime rib, they got pineapple casserole, they got 12-layer chocolate cake, and there's so much food, you can't really eat all of it, but you sure as heck try. And so the last time I was at my side of the family's Christmas dinner, I hadn't been there in a few years. I was like, I am going to eat and eat. And I kept eating and eating. And I ended up at the point, not to be too graphic, but it's where I was, where I was hoping something would come out of one end or the other because I needed some relief from the pressure on my intestines. It was not good. It was miserable. Now, now, I did not start out the evening being like, I want to eat myself sick. 
No, I just saw prime rib and pineapple casserole and chocolate cake and this beautiful little concoction that had like strawberry jello on top and chopped up pretzels together held by something sticky and then whipped cream on the bottom. Like, I just wanted to be happy eating that. And I pursued happiness and ate myself sick. We all do similar things. Or another time, there was this girl I met before Grace, um, and I thought she was cute. I don't know what she thought about me, but she was a beach bum. I was a baseball player, which sounds great, except I had an awful farmer's tan. I was like, I can't go to the beach with a farmer's tan. That would just be embarrassing. And so I was like, well, you need sun to get your skin nice and dark. So in my brilliant 21-year-old genius mind, I was like, I know what I'll do. To impress this girl, I'll go to the beach, sand shirt, let the sun roast my body, and I'll be great. Y'all, the next week, it felt like sleeping with fire ants. Well, did you end up dating her? No, she ghosted me. After I literally sacrificed my body. So when you run after your own happiness, it actually tends to work against you. And here's, here's where it can get really real and really uncomfortable for all of us. If you go back and look at the worst decisions you ever made, your biggest regrets, you didn't make those decisions because you didn't want to. You made those decisions in the moment because you were like, well, this is the thing that's going to make me happy. Who was in charge in that moment? It wasn't the Holy Spirit, it was ourself. Our self is always going to hold up the carrot of, hey, run after what you enjoy now. Run after happiness now. But the fruit of self is this. Paul writes this. Galatians 5, 19, he says, the acts of the flesh or, or yourself are obvious. In other words, this is the type of life you end up with when you follow, well, I'm just trying to be happy. I'm trying to go after what I enjoy right now. This is what he says. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, here's what I know about every single person in this room. None of us want our lives to be characterized like that. Like, like think about just one of them. Think about factions. How many of us want our lives to be characterized by, man, we're just divisive people. We're combative and we're always spoiling for a fight and it's us or them and they suck and we're awesome and we're just divided and we have no hope for unity. Nobody wants to have a life defined like that, right? I'm sure we're glad we live in a country where that's not a value. United States of America, yeah, yeah, sure, we'll go with that. Another message for another time. But, but how do we end up there? How do we end up divisive? We end up divisive usually because we're trying to make ourselves happy because we're like, well, I need to make myself look good and I'm going to do it at the expense of others. So I've got to make myself look awesome and I've got to degrade other people to make sure they look like they suck. This is what happens when we follow the way of ourself. In any of these things that Paul listed, that is the fruit of a life that is lived with my happiness as my primary pursuit. 
And you might say, well, Dylan, doesn't God want me to be happy? Oh my goodness, yes, he does. Like, I'm, I'm an imperfect dad, but I know for a fact that when I take Case into a ball game like I did last night, he might like a funnel cake, and so I got him a funnel cake. I promise it wasn't only for me, but I like to see my kid happy, and God is the perfect heavenly father. Oh my gosh, yes, he wants you happy, but man, he also knows that the way to actual long-term happiness is not the spiritual Oreos. It's going to be what's, what's difficult in the moment and what you may not enjoy in the moment and what may be a hard, painful decision in the moment. That's what he leads you to. And you might say, yeah, but, but, but I can't do that thing, Dylan. Well, like I'm wrestling with something, I'm going through something, I'm battling and struggling with something, and I'm just tired of fighting. I can't do it. To which I would say, you're absolutely right. You can't. That's why Jesus never asked you to. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit, which leads me to the third thing we have to know. It's that the Holy Spirit in me is stronger than the wrong desires in me. The Holy Spirit in me is stronger than the wrong desires in me. See, if you try to beat yourself on your own, it's going to work out kind of like when I tried to tackle a guy about twice my size in high school. Now, now let me just set this up for you. My senior year of high school was probably the most in shape I'd ever been. 180 pounds of pure muscle. I'm strong. I'm at my peak. I'm kind of aggressive. And we had this field day where we were playing a game where the one goal was to tackle people, which was awesome because I found one guy that was about half my size and I laid him out. It was glorious. Absolutely glorious. So I'm feeling pretty good, and I'm, I'm about 17 years old, like kind of cocky, that sort of thing. And there's this guy on the other side of the field. Wasn't really a friend of mine, so there was no love lost here. But, but he was a pretty big guy. He was pro- I was 180. He was probably 300 to 350 pounds. Now, in my mind, I thought, I'm strong. I'm a freaking athlete. And I've got a head start about 20 yards, and so I get, I get my eyes locked on him. He don't see me coming, so I'm like, this is going to be great. Full head of steam, and I get him. I literally bounce off. And he just kind of looks at me like I was a mosquito, and I was like, well, that didn't go the way I planned. <laughs> when I look back and think about that, you know what it, you know what it ties into in my mind? It ties into my battle with trying to beat addiction on my own in my own strength. And man, there's some of you this morning, man, you're dealing with something, you're struggling with something, and as long as you try to beat that thing in your own strength, it will be like me bouncing off that guy. You may think you've got self-discipline, you may think you've got self-control, you may think you're strong, but if you go at that on your own, you'll just bounce off. That's why God sent the Holy Spirit to live inside of us at the moment of salvation. Because here's what happens. When you give your life to Christ, verse 24 in Galatians 5, Paul writes, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In other words, that thing that pulls you towards sin in Christ, that thing is literally considered dead. Yourself is considered dead. It has no more power and no more dominion in your life. And this is how we live. Verse 25, he says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step 
with the Spirit. He didn't say, hey, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, buckle down, try real hard, and you'll be good. He said, no, we live by the Spirit. And then he goes back in verse 16 and says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We don't do it in our own strength. We do it through the power of the Holy Spirit, which may beg the question, well, how do I do that? And it's very simply this. Moment by moment, you simply choose to obey what God has said in his word. And he empowers you to follow through on it moment by moment. And that moment by moment idea is important, folks, because we often tend to think of the thing we're wrestling with and the thing we're struggling with and the season we're journeying through that, man, it feels like hell on earth. And we're like, I don't know how to make it through this. Just make it through the next moment. Just make it through the next day. Like any of us can do anything for a day, right? Like I can even eat three meals of lettuce for a day with salad dressing and tomatoes and cheese and croutons. And... But you can do anything for a moment. And that's the thing, y'all. Depending on the Holy Spirit is not a, man, I've got to go 30 years through this thing. No, it's in this moment, I'm going to choose to obey what God has said. Knowing that as I choose to obey, the Holy Spirit will empower me to step into that and step through that. Let me tell you where I, I tend to experience this. You may be surprised at this, but even as a pastor, I have a very hard time sharing my faith. I'm introverted. I'm naturally kind of shy. Some people like Pastor Mark, they can go up and they can convert like a cardboard box because they're just that extroverted and that sort of thing. Like, that's, like I'm not wired like that at all. But every single time I've noticed that God taps on my shoulder and says, hey, step out of this, I notice that when I step out of it and get going, the Holy Spirit directs my words and directs my conversation. Not because I think it up, but because I obey with the first step and he empowers you to follow through with it in the moment. But it's moment by moment by moment. And when we live a life that is led by the Holy Spirit, here's the result, Galatians 5, through 23, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And folks, that's a life that's too good to miss. Like every single one of us in this room, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, we'd love our life to be characterized by that. How do we do it? We do it when we choose to live by the Holy Spirit and follow the way of the Spirit instead of the way of ourselves, depending on God's Spirit to empower us as we obey moment by moment to get us through the difficult things and lead us into the things that are best for us that result in a life that reflects the glory of God and His transforming power at work in us. That's how we win. And so as we land the plane this morning, here's three questions I want each of y'all to consider. 
as we think about each of these areas. We, we ask the question, man, how do we win? We understand victory starts with the affections of the heart. So who has your heart this morning? Or maybe it's a what has your heart this morning? And you can always tell who or what has your heart by the primary thing or person you're willing to sacrifice for. Who do you go out of your way for? What do you go out of your way to do? What always makes it on your calendar? What always makes it in your budget? What always makes it in your life every single day? Is it Jesus? Or is Jesus an afterthought? Who has your heart today? The second question, what are you pursuing? Are you pursuing the way of self? Are you pursuing your own happiness? Or are you pursuing the way of Jesus? Are you pursuing being led by the Holy Spirit? Are you pursuing a life of obedience to God's Word, depending on the Spirit moment by moment? Which leads to the third question. It's this, on whom are you relying? Are you relying on yourself to pull yourself up and just buckle down and keep going? Or do you recognize the truth of what Jesus said in John chapter 15, that apart from him, man, we can do nothing? In fact, that may even describe your posture towards God and salvation this morning. It may be the case that you've thought that the way to be saved is, man, I just need to try harder. I just need to do a bunch of religious activity. I need to show up at church. I need to read my Bible. I just need to do all the stuff. When the truth is, man, neither you or I can save ourselves. Only Jesus can, and he's the one that we rely on to save us. We trust in his finished work on the cross, in his resurrection, and our only hope of salvation is in him, but our only hope of winning the battle of my of the Spirit versus my flesh is depending on Him through His Holy Spirit. Because only Jesus can save you and only Jesus can change you. And trust me, He wants to change you. He wants you to live a life that is defined by the Holy Spirit that's marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what He wants for you but it's going to require loving Him. It's going to require saying no to ourselves, no to the things that make us happy in the moment, yes to the things that are difficult and depending on His Holy Spirit to carry us through that moment by moment. And when we do that, the result is that we are changed by God into people that reflect His glory and His goodness and His life to a lost and dying that's a life that's too good to miss. So can we pray? Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that um, that you'll just show us the area here that, um, that may, maybe we come up short in. Show us that, man, perhaps we're not running after you with all our heart. Perhaps we've neglected time with you. Perhaps 
we've chosen the things that we enjoy versus the things that will actually bring us joy long term. God, we repent for relying on our own ability and our own power. We pray that you'll lead us into a life that's dependent on you, Holy Spirit. As you're praying this morning, here's the opportunities for, for response this morning. Man, if you're here and you would say, man, I've, I've relied on myself and, and, and I, I need to simply rely on the Holy Spirit, one of the ways we do that is through prayer. And we do it through stepping kind of out of our isolation and into community. And one of the ways you can do that is, man, if you're here and there's something you're struggling with, man, I would encourage you, just go back to the back where we've got a rack set up with some green clothes pins on it. There's some cards next to that. Just write your prayer need down. Just pin it to that. And step out of relying on yourself and into relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. For others of you, perhaps here what you need to do is take a few moments and let the Holy Spirit examine your heart and maybe what you're finding is man I've been pursuing my own happiness, my own security, my own safety, my own comfort ahead of pursuing a life of obedience to God and if that's you this morning man take a moment to examine yourself let God examine you and then I would encourage you man come forward and take communion as a celebration of what God has done with you now now about communion communion is only for followers of Christ but if you are a follower of Jesus say kind of it's a moment for you to examine yourself man let the Holy Spirit examine your heart and then come forward and take communion when we stand and sing and then perhaps you're here and man the truth of the matter is Jesus has never grabbed your heart you've never given your life to Christ And if that's you this morning, I want to invite you just where you sit to say, Father God, I repent of my sin. I repent of trying to do things my own way. And today I give my life to you, Jesus. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the grave. And today I give you my life. And if that was you this morning, there's a little white box in the back of our auditorium that has a green sign on it that says next steps. Man, just drop back there while we sing. Just fill out the card, indicate you gave your life to Christ. And we'd love to celebrate with you and connect with you and help you take the next steps in your brand new journey today. So I'm going to close this out in prayer and then we'll stand and we'll sing and then y'all respond as the Holy Spirit leads you. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your word. God, I pray that we will simply be open to how you want to work in our hearts this morning, that we'll let you convict us, that we'll let you shape us, and we'll let you change us, Holy Spirit. Jesus, we love you and ask these things in your name. Amen.